Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the first and best Audrina so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. Joining us to discuss this fucked up, ableist, gaslighty, gothic shit that thinks it's way kinkier than it is, is culture witch, librarian, and Renata's birthday twin, Sophie Brookover. Hi, friends, and I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sophie, thank you so much for bringing this content to us. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, You're welcome, I guess. Before we get any further into this, I do want to say, first of all, as a podcast, we're not great about remembering to start off with content warnings in the recording. I want to make a note that we do usually put them on the website, so if there is anything you ever want to be warned about, you can check our website before you listen, because we sometimes forget to say it out loud, even though we are an audio podcast. But as a note, this book and our discussion of it has just any content warning for any upsetting content you could imagine including but not limited to rape uh, specifically of a child uh, physical and emotional abuse ableism PTSD uh, gaslighting which I guess is really a subset of the emotional abuse and I mean if you're familiar with VC Andrews it's not like a surprise probably but I will say I was surprised by all the shit that's in this book. I was like, oh, I I know. You know, we previously read Flowers in the Attic for this podcast, and that was the only V.C. Andrews book I'd read before this. But I was just like, oh, yeah, I feel like I get it. Like, I kind of know what V.C. Andrews' whole whole situation is. And then I read this, and I was like, oh, this is so much. This is so many things. Yes, so many. (laughs) Yeah, I'm also, I'm going to specify, too, that the ableism is both physical and intellectual. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Just fucking every, anything that you could make, like, gross and weird, that isn't gross and weird, she made gross and weird. She did that. She othered everyone. Name a a person, and they were othered in this book in a really gross way. But yeah, I had also, like, I had read Flyers in the Attic, and Flyers in the Attic is pretty fucked up for this podcast. And I was saying to Becca, who's read, I guess, many V.C. Andrews books last night or the night before, like, this book is fucked up. And she was like, yeah, it's a V.C. Andrews book. And I'm like, no, like, you think Flowers in the Attic is fucked up, but this is fucked up. And she's like, yeah, Flowers in the Attic is like fucking baby time frolics when it comes to V.C. Andrews. Yeah, this one is, like, so she died pretty young. um, And she had only written the, like, the four first books in the Flowers in the Attic series. She'd written two in her series about uh, a woman from West Virginia named Heaven Lee Castile or Heavenly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she'd written this one. Um, and uh, this one is just like the most baroque plot stuffed twists and turns soup. It's just wild. And, you know, the one thing I will say that as far as I can tell, it didn't have that I really was expecting it to have. It didn't really have any incest in it. Right. There's the one there's the one scene where the dad is like, Audrina, I I love to sit in this rocking chair with you and hold you close to me. But you're becoming a young woman now. And we just can't do that anymore. And he's like really wistful about it. But he's like, I know that people think gross and horrible things about fathers and daughters and I don't want that for us because I really do love you. 
Yes, in some ways that was like the most shocking twist of all is, you know, clearly <laughs> clearly there's all these like hints that like oh things God. are being kept from Madrina and like right. secrets, 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 and we'll get to that. But I, I I was fully expecting one of the secrets to be like, oh yeah, and the dad is like sexually assaulting her or grooming her or like something's up with her and the dad. And indeed it is, but just not that. Right, right. What is <laughs> what is up is fucked up and wrong and terrible. But it isn't the thing that you assume is going to be wrong and fucked up and terrible. But but yet, like, somehow the threat of it just constantly overhangs the entire narrative. Yes. And yeah. I can't I can't totally tell if that's because uh, we've been led to have the expectation mm. of that because of the Flowers in the Attic series or just because... Like, it's just in the air in everything to do with her entire body of work. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for anyone but myself, but uh, like I said, the only V.C. Andrews book I had read was Flowers in the Attic, and it was for this podcast. And I, like, in my head, like, V.C. Andrews is just the incest lady. I don't know if she wrote any other books besides the Flowers in the Attic ones that have incest in them, but that is just, in my head, like, what her brand is. Right. So I was definitely so expecting that to happen, that when what actually happens happened, I was like, wait, fucking what? What? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Shall we dive in so that people can know what does fucking happen? Yeah, I, honestly, I would love to know what fucking happens because I, I feel like this book gaslighted me personally as a reader, start to finish. Yes. And I'm like, what, what was real? What did happen? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is like a over 500 pages, ugh. and it's one of those books where like nothing happens, but so much happens. Yes. Uh, so you know, as usual, we're gonna try and be succinct about it, <laughs> but like, fucking, who fucking knows? <sighs> Yeah, this is another book also where I finished reading it and immediately just pulled up Wikipedia because I was like, I need someone to summarize this because, like, what? Yeah, that's a good idea. Let me open the Wikipedia summary so if we get lost, we will be able to find ourselves again. Yeah, I mean, so, like, our our players here are my sweet Audrina, the second Audrina, but we'll get to that. Um, She is seven years old question mark she has memory like swiss cheese and so she doesn't really understand what's happening to her like her her timeline of events is very screwed up which we later learn is not her fault um but she has and it's compounded like not only is her memory terrible or so we're led to believe um but like there are no clocks in the house that tell the right time mm-hmm. there are no calendars in the house there are no newspapers with recent dates on it her family she calls them hoarders at the beginning they keep everything so there's nothing it's hard to tell when she's looking at a newspaper if it's new or old uh she's not allowed to leave the house or go to school mm-hmm. so she has fucking no idea when it is how much time passes at any given moment Right. Um, she gets confused about, like, when her birthday is. Like, she thinks she's seven, and then people tell her it's her ninth birthday. Uh, she lives with her father, whose name is Damien, whose mother, her mother, whose name is Lucietta, but she goes by Lucky, which is ironic. <laughs> um, her aunt, Ellie, who is kind of a bitch, and her cousin, Vera, who is definitely a bitch. Uh, Vera is older and just 
and, and Vera is allowed to go to school, and she just always teases Audrina about being stupid and not knowing what happened. And then the other person they live with is the specter of the first Audrina, who was a, a daughter that the second Audrina's parents had, but she died terribly. And Audrina, the, so she is the second and worst Audrina, and she has all these kind of conflicting memories of the first Audrina and Vera teases her about how she'll never be, you know, as beloved or as good as the other Audrina. Her dad is always making her sit in the first Audrina's rocking chair. And I thought that the, she was going to develop psychic powers from the chair. Right. Like, yeah. like the dad. So the dad makes her sit and rock in this rocking chair, which is in the first Audrina's playroom. You have to understand they live in an absolutely enormous house called White Fern, which is named for that. That's the family name of Audrina's mother and, uh, and her sister. And, like, yeah, I forgot to say, the aunt who lives there is the mother's sister, not the father's sister. Right, right. So Aunt Elspeth or Ellie um, and Lucky are, are sisters. Um, and the the house is their childhood home. It is, you know, it has a, like, I guess many southern mansions. It has a, ugh, please imagine my eye-rolling side-eye, an enormous <laughs> air quotes, glorious past um mm. and it's you know a beautiful building we're meant to understand but it's kind of fallen into disrepair uh the parents are always worried about money even though the dad is a, a stockbroker and like is really like uh, i think i think we're meant to understand that he's like a dandy like he takes an in an inordinate amount of pride in his clothes there's a whole scene where like vera is ironing one of his silk shirts and like i don't understand how he affords the clothes that he wears when they allegedly have no money and are living in this sort of like crumbling house i don't i don't get that well and and some of this is because it's it's filtered through audrina they talk later about how the money situation that was also part of the the gaslighting going on but also her dad's a criminal it's fine. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but maybe at this point he wasn't yet. I it's unclear. He he definitely doesn't seem good at his job. No, like actually, weirdly, Audrina does seem good at his job. Yes, and she is using so she understands that her dad really wants her to sit in this rocking chair and like feel connected to the first Audrina and like. He, her dad talks... This is, I guess, why I thought she was going to get psychic powers. Well, I think maybe intentionally we are sort of supposed to think that. And her her dad's always talking about how she, he wants her to have the first Audrina's gift. Right, And right. since I've yes. read so many X-Men comics, I'm like, okay, gift is just code for mutant power. Bring it on. And then there is also a psychic character who is introduced to try to predict the sex of the baby when Audrina's mother gets pregnant again. And so she has, she like dangles a ring and it's this whole thing where the way the ring moves determines if the baby will be a boy or a girl, but the ring gets fucked up and the psychic gets scared. And everyone's like deeply upset by this. But Audrina sees that and she's like, Oh, that's how this all works. I'll just 
pulled a ring on a string and then used that to predict the stock market. And like somehow for her, it works. It does work. So maybe she does have a gift. I don't. But like the book, the book is so weird in the way that it sets up like these, with the possibility of some type of supernatural or mutant abilities. (laughs) But at the same time, uh, I, I mean, I guess, I guess a tiny hat off to VC Andrews for constructing a narrative so impenetrable <laughs> that of course we feel gaslighted is it actually a literary triumph that she's pulled off maybe <laughs> like there were so many points in this book where i'm like actually this lady knows what she's doing like this book is florid nonsense and is actively harmful to many people <laughs> at the same time it's she is doing something that is it's and there's an accomplishment here yeah. Yes. So the the book is in in three parts, and the first part ends when Adrena's mother dies in childbirth. With this... well, there, there's a couple things in the first part. Oh, that yeah. I think we should hit yeah, on. Yeah, we should talk first. about Arden for sure. Yes. Yeah. And so and, and his mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, is going on is that. Vera, her cousin, her aunt's daughter, whenever they're in town, the father and the aunt and the mother insist that Audrina refer to Vera as her sister and not her cousin. Um, and they give this like vague adulty, like, oh no, like it'll make more sense that way because like we don't want to shame the mother and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Vera's real into this and is real into trying to butter up the dad to be his favorite. Uh, but he is less inclined to do that. Uh, so that is one other thing that we learn in this setup of uh, the way that, that these folks are living. Another thing is that, and this is not at all relevant to anything in the plot, but it's just so fucking weird that I want to talk about it. The aunt and the mother, once a week on Tuesdays, oh, yeah. they have tea parties with their aunt, Mercy Marie, but... It's not with her. It is with a photo of her because she is a missionary who disappeared while doing work in Africa. So they pretend to be her while drinking bourbon out of teacups and insulting each other. And they make Audrina attend these. Which is so weird. Like, it's explicitly just a, a really fucked up way for them to exorcise, like, all the like the psychic trauma that they're experiencing living in this house like it's obvious that you know whatever befell the first and best Audrina is like a trauma that the entire family is processing badly because they're not getting any kind of help and they don't have any kind of resources this incredibly enormous crumbling beautiful mansion that's like is is not a plantation house I don't know where this family got the money to build this. Like if they weren't, you know, slavers, I don't know how they managed to do this, but somehow it's this enormous house, but it's in the middle of nowhere. It's apparently 15 miles from the village that it's associated with. That makes no sense. But anyway, the, the, these tea parties, you'd think that, that Lucky and Aunt Ellie would welcome the opportunity to like have their little weird psychodrama without Vera or Audrina being present because then like they could use that 
as a vehicle to talk through the things that they obviously desperately need to talk through. Um, and like, like even they realize on some level they need to, which is why these tea parties exist. But like, instead they wind up setting more traps for themselves and like creating more opportunities for Audrina to question her reality by making her attend them. It's very strange. Like they're, everybody seems so obsessed with maintaining this fiction about the the various Audrinas, but at the same time, they're constantly giving themselves opportunities to mess it up entirely. Yes. The other thing about the tea parties is so Audrina has to go because she's homeschooled and it's like part of her like lady homeschooling or whatever. But Vera wants to go. But they right. keep changing the time so that Vera can't go because Vera goes to school. The other thing about Vera is that she has brittle bone syndrome. Yeah. Which Audrina <laughs> doesn't know about. <sighs> like, she doesn't know the word for that. She just is like, oh, Vera broke a bone again. <laughs> like, like, oh, well, that's a thing that happens. Yeah, like, and it's, it's so weird. But yet also, yes. Vera, like, there's no consistency like Vera, you know, breaks a leg at the drop of a hat, you know, but, but then like, there's def there's a bunch of scenes where she's being like thrown around in sexual scenarios. And mm. also like, it, like starting physical fights with people in her family and she's fine until she isn't like there, there just is no internal consistency yeah. in the way that it's written at all. So the last thing in kind of the setup that I think is important to touch on is uh, there is a particular boy at school who Vera talks about is like in love with her and wants to marry her. But like she's like a fucking free agent, but she'll take whatever he gives her. She comes home on Valentine's Day with a giant uh, chocolate heart and she's like, oh, yeah, like he gave this to me and like eats it in front of her. And after a few months after, well, a few questionable amount of time after that, because who fucking knows, a boy and his mother move into the caretaker's house on their property. And uh, this is right around the time that uh, Audrina's mother gets pregnant again. And she is kind of like curious and she isn't supposed to go in the woods. That is one of her father's rules. I think at this point she's been told that the first Audrina died because she was attacked by some boys and murdered in the woods. Under the golden rain tree. Yes. And the one rule is that she is not allowed to go into the woods. But she does sneak into the woods to see this boy and his mother, and she develops a friendship with him. His name is Arden. The mother's name is Billy. And she finds out from Arden that Vera's been lying to her. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Arden is in love with her, not with Vera, he claims because he's seen her around town and she's so beautiful and her hair is so beautiful and that the chocolate heart was supposed to be for her and Vera was supposed to give it to her and he has been lavishing attention on her from afar all this time, even though Vera keeps trying to tell him that, like, she's crazy and isn't worth his time. And Audrina is, like, real fucked up about a lot of things. Yes. Including, like, affection from men or boys at this point. Yeah. One other thing that happens in phase one of the book. Jesus Christ, there's so much. So much. 
Audrina's mom, Lucky, had been like a, a very gifted pianist and she could have been a professional concert pianist, but instead she married Audrina's father and kind of gave that up. Um, or no, I guess, well, that's phase two is when. Okay. Well, it's important to establish it's, before yeah, so she dies. So that, that will... comes up like when her parents fight and they, they fight, especially while. While Lucky's pregnant again, or at least Adrena's more aware of it, that they're fighting. And so she's not sure which parent she feels like she should side with. But it's like, it's an uncomfortable situation all around. Yes. And then uh, part one of the book ends with Adrena's mother dying in childbirth, giving birth to premature a baby girl named Sylvia, who does not come home from the hospital for... Almost three years. Yeah, I began to think that that Sylvia had died. Like, I read this book a million years ago when I was in middle school, and I had completely forgotten about Sylvia just altogether. And so when I was rereading it, I was like, oh, did she die? And, like, Damien just can't bring himself to tell Audrina? I almost thought maybe there was no baby, and... oh. And he just, like, murdered the mom. <laughs> uh, listen, that would not be weird for this book. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, because she was pregnant, but there was all this talk. But, like, A of all, Audrina doesn't know anything about anything. Nope. B of all, you know, there was still this talk about how beautiful the mom was and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, of course, that's equated with thinness and whatnot. Like, you know, we never see, because the baby was so premature... Maybe she just wasn't pregnant. I don't know. But she was. And the there was the whole thing with the witch being like... Oh, yeah. The oh, baby God. won't be a boy or a girl, which obviously gender is a construct, but at this point in time was clearly meant to be like you're growing a demon. Yeah. Right. She, she said something like, a monster. And, like, she's terrified and runs away. Like, ugh. The whole... It's so bad. And then, and then, like... I felt like the one really sad moment in the book, like most of the book is just straight up horrifying, but the, mm-hmm. the saddest moment is when, when Lucky dies, like, yeah, Audrina realizes too late, like, you know, what, what she lost, like she, I think just didn't have a real concept. And then all of a sudden she has this rush of memories and, and insight where she realizes, oh my God, like. What's going to happen? And then instantly, everyone pivots to, well, Adrina, you know, you're going to have to step into your dear mother's shoes and be responsible for this baby. Yes. And her dad is so shitty about everything. Um, so shitty. Adrina keeps saying, like, well, where's baby Sylvia? Like, I want to meet the baby. I want to meet the right. baby. And he's like, no, you can't. And at first, at very first, he's like, well, she's so premature. She's, you know... I don't think he uses the word Nike because this is 1982. I don't know if they have that. But, like, you know, she's in an incubator. You can't go. Children, you know, you have, like, germs and stuff. And I was like, okay, that kind of checks out. But then for, like, almost again, almost three years, nothing. Like, she can't meet her. And then he does bring Sylvia home. And he's like, well, Audrina, like, honestly, I wish that she could have stayed longer with the nurses. And you just, but you just wouldn't let it up. You wouldn't stop asking me at Sylvia. So fine, here she is. But now you're her mom now. And you have to, you're totally responsible for her since you're the one who wanted to meet this baby, I guess. And she's like 12 question mark. Right. Yeah. Um, so also 
since the death of her mother, uh, Audrina is like, well, my mom, or Vera is already taking piano lessons, I think. Yes. And uh, Audrina is like, oh, well, like, my mom was a pianist and she's dead now, so I should, like, carry on in her legacy, sort of. Yes. Um, so she also starts taking piano lessons with Vera, um, with this particular piano teacher, and after Sylvia comes home and Audrina is supposed to be taking care of her because she's the mom now, I guess, at 12 question mark, Audrina is, like, lamenting that she is completely socially isolated from everyone and expected to care for an autistic toddler all on her own with at age of 12 question mark. Yes. By the way, we're using the label (laughs) autistic not used in the book. Uh, Not not only not used in the book, but again, like, is she? there's (laughs) no coherent, there's no coherent diagnosis or explanation. Like, there's no set of symptoms that Sylvia experiences or behaviors that she manifests that would result in a realistic, you know, designation that, like, that she has autism. Like, Which part of it is because she is a plot device. She is not a character. Right. And so there's not enough development or attention paid to her. Nope. To... I mean, let alone sympathetically or realistically, like, at all convey anything about her life and her challenges that isn't just like, well, this is how it affects the story. It's not, it's not great. It is not great. No, she, I mean, Sylvia becomes, I mean, she is a figure of revulsion and pity she doesn't have any, like, she does have agency, but only to, like, move things forward. And actually, she is a device to gaslight Audrina and yep. yes. and, and the reader. Like, I, I, she, at the end of the book, I am not 100% clear on certain things, like certain plot twists. It's there's multiple possible explanations for what happened. And I think in some cases, Sylvia was the one making things happen, whether intentionally or not. And in other cases, it's, I'm I'm real. it's up for debate, honestly. Like, yeah, yeah. but she's, I agree with you. She's not allowed to be a a person. Yeah. Um, But so the long and short of it is that, the piano teacher is like, can you fucking let this girl go to school? Jesus Christ. And so she does begin to attend school, and Aunt Ellie has to take care of Sylvia, and she's not, like, fucking thrilled about this. Fucking what else happens? I mean, I feel like some of these middle plot points we can maybe just power through real quickly. Vera seduces the piano teacher and runs away to New York with him. She's 16, question mark, at this time. She gets pregnant. Yes. Has a miscarriage on the carpet. (laughs) It's real dramatic. A a completely, oh my god, the most bananas. The way that this book deals with gynecology is so (laughs) bad. Yeah. Yes. Um, so she, when she leaves, she also leaves a note basically saying like, oh, by the way, your dad had an affair with my mom before he met your mom and I'm his daughter too. And 
she asks her dad, like, is this true? And her dad's like, yeah, but she's like a bitch who's trying to ruin our family. So fucking goodbye. (laughs) And she like, Audrina is like, what? Like, how could you? And then even her mom is like, no, (laughs) she is. No, really. She's the worst. Like Vera's the reason everything is bad. Like, just what? I mean, Vera is a hateful person, but don't you think it's just a little bit possible that that's your fault? Like, Like, Vera is a terrible human, and the things that she does are terrible. So bad. And they, like, even worse than we currently know, it'll get much worse than this. (laughs) But, like, fucking growing up in that house, I feel like it's kill or be killed. Oh, 100%. Literally. It is. Vera, it is. Very Vera literally. Is the, Vera is the Cheryl Blossom of this book, where I'm just yes. like, <laughs> she's doing the worst thing. She's looking so good while she's doing it. Yep. And whenever she's around, that's all I want to look at. And whenever she's not in the narrative, I'm like, well, but what's what's Cheryl doing? Is she going back soon? Or... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, when, when Riverdale first started airing and I started watching it, I was like, wow, the writers of this show are on my level. Like, they have read all the VC Andrews. <laughs> they just put that shit in a blender with Twin Peaks and a whole... And, and the like, Archie comics. And the Archie comics and 90210. Like, yes, this is my time. Uh. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, but enough about Riverdale, because I got hours of things to say about Riverdale. Um, yes. So Vera's gone for a while. Yes. And uh, Aunt Ellie starts taking up with uh, Vera, uh, Vera, with, uh, well, Vera as well, with Audrina's dad again. And they're together, and Audrina's, like, not fucking thrilled about it. And Vera, at this point, her, uh, the piano teacher's dead. Yeah, and we years teacher- later... Oh, we. Sh- oh God! The piano I teacher killed himself. Right. Yes, which yes. Audrina gets it gets filtered back through like town gossip. Yes, which- and uh, Aunt Ellie is like, I need to go help my daughter, and oh, yeah, and dad- you you owe me money, like you owe me um my share of the inheritance of the house because the house had been Audrina's mother's. Yes, and, but when she died in the will, like a lot of it went to her. But they have this big fight about all of these things, uh, and then the next day, it's the next day, right? Yeah, yeah. They have a they yes. have a big fight, but then they bone. Yeah, then they make up. He gives her a check, and he's like, "I'll here's fifty thousand dollars. Do whatever you want, but don't leave, though." And uh, and Audrina pins it to the corkboard in the kitchen, because like she sees them, you know, starting to make out in the kitchen, and then they run off upstairs, and like. Aunt Ellie has dropped the check on the floor. So Audrina pins it to the corkboard thinking, well, when she comes down in the morning, whether she's leaving or staying, she'll see this. And that way she'll know that she still has it. Yeah, because I think she's rooting for Aunt Ellie to get out of there. Yes, very much so. But tragically, uh, the next day, Aunt Ellie has died mysteriously from falling down these stairs that, like, these stairs become a player in this book. Yeah, the stairs, the stairs are a character. The stairs are a more well-developed character than Sylvia. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the stairs, I am convinced, are sentient and malevolent. 
Maybe but the maybe, stairs. Maybe the stairs got the rocking chair powers. Maybe I think the <laughs> stairs. The stairs are like mercy killers, honestly. <laughs> or they think they are. Like, yes. Yes. The stair. The stairs like think that their motives are pure, but they're actually like sinister as hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, the stairs. Like, they've had all these monsters walking on them day right. in day out. What's obviously they would absorb. That, that like, spiritual malevolence. And then somehow they magically become sentient. And, yeah, they just... The stairs are murderers. Yes. Yes. That's what's clear. Yes. At that point in the book, I totally thought that the dad killed her, though. I still don't know who killed her. Yeah. Like, I... I, That one could have been an accident. I don't think it was the dad, though. No, he seemed genuinely surprised and heartbroken. Right. And, as, and but I didn't buy that at first. Also, I, I don't know. I Anyway. I still I don't didn't really buy it. I don't think it was the dad. I'm just saying at the moment that as I was reading it, I assumed it was the dad. Because mm. no, he didn't look over the money. Right. And there's some real Veronica Mars type stuff that happens where like <laughs> he says to Audrina, like, oh, we got to change her outfit because if it looks like she was going away, then it'll look like one of us tried to kill her and Audrina's yes. like I guess and like he makes her do Ellie's hair and they obviously they and I guess Audrina is worried that somehow Sylvia had something to do with it and like so her motivation is pr- to protect Sylvia but she's kind of like oh my god what if I'm actually protecting my dad and my dad is a stone cold murderer yes I mean I I'm still not entirely convinced you didn't do it I, yeah it's a huge question mark for me because I've been gaslit by this book. <laughs> yes. Yes. Speaking of of light, so Sylvia, she doesn't usually like toys or things. Like, she's very easily distracted. But one thing that always holds her attention is these prisms that she'll, you know, capture sunlight in and it makes a rainbow because that's what prisms do. So she's always doing that. And she, she'll shine it in people's eyes and, like, blind them. And it's not clear if she realizes, like, the cause and effect or if she's just, you know, likes the way the lights look, like, whatever. But she's always doing that. And it's irritating and hazardous to the people who live with Sylvia. Right. You'd you'd think that a solution to that problem would be to remove the prisms and, like, change the chandeliers, which are gas lamps. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the the family like that's actually both another way that the family like gaslights Audrina into not knowing when it is like they don't really have a lot of modern conveniences I guess they have a phone but yeah. none of the none of the lamps are electric lighting it's all gas lights which I remember as I was rereading I was like does the house burn down at the end like is it a big oh, you're, you're ga- thinking like, of Riverdale. I'm thinking of Riverdale <laughs> and and also thinking of Rebecca actually. Oh yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the classier illusion. The, Whatever. Yes, yes. They're both uh, good yeah. and equally valid. <laughs> um also as a reader, I don't know when this is. Like the book came out in 1982. <sighs> yeah. I don't think it's quite then, but there's like when when in part 1 when Audrina finally goes to school, Like, Vera and her dad picked out all these, like, beautiful dresses for her, and then they get there, and the girl's like, oh, we just wear jeans and sweaters now. Right. I I do think it's supposed to be, like, late 70s, 
early 80s. Like it's, I mean, it's specifically not set in a particular time period. Like it's not, I don't believe she wrote it as historical fiction. I think she wrote it as contemporary. Um, But like a lot of the, a lot of what she talks about as like the best clothes, I think would have been like really dated even then. Okay. So. Which is a whole other confusing, but we'll fucking get to that when we get to the big reveal at the end of the book. Yeah. Oh, here's another thing that I have not been sure on the whole time. Are what age is Arden compared to Audrina? And obviously the beginning, Audrina's confused about that, but I never stopped being confused. I think Arden is the same age as Vera. And Vera's three years older than Audrina? Yeah, because he goes to college and Audrina is like... In high school, that's right. Yeah, so she's like yeah. 14 or 15. And actually when Ellie dies, she and Arden get married that same day. Yes. Like they've been engaged and I guess she was 17. So she's like 17 or 18 when they get married and he's... I think he's about to finish college, so he would be 22. I thought yeah, she was Yeah, because her dad won't let her go... To oh, his graduation. Oh, they were they were going to wait until she was 19 to get married, but then Ellie died and they were like, fuck it. Yes, yes. Which, can we back up slightly to Arden and his mom, who actually have yes. a really oh, sweet, like a, a sweet relationship. Like they're, Billy is lovely. That's true. I, f- I feel so, oh God, her fate is terrible. Can we get into it? Less. Yes. So, I mean, Billy is, is Arden's mother, and they live in the caretaker's cottage, and Audrina loves visiting them and loves how sweet Billy is. Like, you know, her own mom is died, and her house is a nightmare, and Billy is just always, like, very kind and, you know, sweetly mom-ish, even before there's anything, like, romantic between Audrina and Arden, and... But as time goes on, Audrina's like, oh, how come I can never go inside your house? How come... You know, it seems like it seems like y'all are keeping secrets from me, and indeed they are. Uh, Billy's secret is that she used to be an Olympic figure skater, like an Olympic champion, and it's not really a secret because it turns out everyone else in town knows, but just not Audrina because she is so sheltered. But Billy is diabetic, but she hadn't known that she was diabetic because she didn't go to the doctor at all. Even though she was an Olympic figure skater, and you right. think, uh, no, that you would. no. But anyway, so her her diabetes gets wildly out of control, and uh, so she went from being an Olympic figure skater to now a double amputee who only has like short stump, like so much of her legs had to be amputated because a cut got infected. Yes, and like somehow, even though she was an Olympic athlete, her circulation was so poor. That she could not fend off this infection from a simple cut. And there was just no way that they could possibly control it. And listen, I understand that endocrinology has come a long way since the 1960s and 70s. But, like, the idea that an athlete would never have a blood draw that revealed something wonky going on with her insulin... And, and, yeah. you know, and it's like, just absurd are, to me. Athletes are so dialed into their nutrition. And again, yeah. I, I know that in the 70s it was different, but still, though. Yeah. Like, insulin was a thing. Like, 
Yes. There's just so much about it that makes no sense and makes it sound like diabetes is, you know, basically just a death sentence, no matter what, which is horrible. That's just so wrong and inaccurate. And, and like, there's no explanation for what happened to necessitate the amputation of her second leg. Right. And, and then the way that it's presented is as if, like, Billy has decided to agree with whoever thinks that someone who has had an amputation, like, is a, is monstrous. Like, she shrieks about it. And she, yeah, like, so she oh, always God. wears, like, long skirts to hide right. it. And then it's never satisfactorily answered to me, like, how come she doesn't just have a wheelchair, though? Right, right. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Like, she's just homebound because she doesn't have a wheelchair. She has a cart that Arden made for her and helps her get around the house with it. But I guess she's, like, too ashamed to leave the house in a wheelchair. And, I mean, you know, living in this village in year question mark, you know, I'm sure it's not the most accessible place in the world or whatever. But probably you could have done something. Right. And and ev- since everyone knows that she was an Olympic athlete, like, People have really warm feelings about sports heroes. She's the type of person that I think the town like would rally around and sort of like figure out how to make, you know, the grocery store more accessible or like visit her or run errands for her if she needed assistance with that type of thing. Plus, diabetes is a chronic health condition, so she needs to go to the doctor, but like there's never any indication that like her diabetes is being treated in any way other than via the amputation of her legs. Like, right. Just what? (laughs) That's not, that is not how that works. Yeah. Like let's add diabetes to the list of conditions that VC Andrews didn't actually research before she started writing this book. Yeah. But yeah, so, so, uh, Audrina and Arden get married and her dad's like, not fucking pleased. And she leaves with Sylvia? She and Arden and Sylvia go on a honeymoon together. Oh, God. Yes. And and I thought Sylvia was there. Which Arden's not stoked about. Arden thinks no. of Sylvia as a burden, which Audrina doesn't care for. Like, she knows... A big deal was impressed upon Audrina that she is the only one responsible for Sylvia and she has to promise to always take care of her and to never let her go into a home. And God, there's a really upsetting scene where her dad's like, you know, and Sylvia's so beautiful. If she goes into a home, she's oh, just going to yes. be like assaulted because yeah, she yes. can't help herself and she's so God, beautiful that like God. obviously they will. It's like, what about? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. But it's fucking, um, Audrina still has, like, weird issues with sex, so that that doesn't go, like, great. The wedding night is just, is actually a very powerful representation of, like, trauma being revisited on a sexual trauma survivor, like... You know, everything, she just, oh, it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's awful. Yeah, it is pretty terrible. Yeah. And shortly after the honeymoon, they come back to the house. Yes. And they find out that Audrina's dad has taken up with uh, Arden's mom. 
and invited them to live in the big house and not in the caretaker's cottage. And he also offers, tell, tell, gives Arden a job at his company. Yes. Which Arden, oh, by the way, Arden has always wanted to be an architect uh, and had these beautiful visions that he would describe to Adrena, who had never seen any city at all. She was like, yeah, that sounds cool. But he gives up on his architect dream so he can provide for Adrena or fucking whatever. Yeah. Uh, oh, Vera comes back. Again, time is still weird in this, even though it seems like it shouldn't be anymore. Because Vera comes back and, and Adrena's like, oh, by the way, your mom died. And it's like, well, how long has it been? It seems like it's been a while since your mom died. Why... Why didn't you call? Like, what happened? Especially, like, because the implication back when Ellie is going to die is that right before she dies, before we know she's going to die, is that she, like, wants to go see Vera and has been in contact with Vera. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, Vera comes back. Uh, She's a bad bitch. She shows up in a mink cape looking very glamorous. Uh, immediately starts trying to seduce Arden. And I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> like, Vera is, yeah. She's as awful as she is. She's, like, the most self-actualized character in the whole book. Oh, by and, far. And so, like, she's a breath of fresh air in part because she just, like, never lets anyone off the hook for anything. She's yes. actually like kind of brilliantly scheming has a- has escaped like the thing that everybody else talks about doing, you know, comes back looking amazing, wearing these incredible clothes and and then just like immediately takes charge. Like Vera makes things happen and like gets things done. Like she has Bitches goals. Get stuff done. Yeah, she has goals. She meets them. She's horrible. Like, you know who else? You know who else Vera reminds me of is like Act One Evita. Mm. She, she's just in there. She's getting stuff done. She wants yep. to be a part of Buenos Aires. She's doing it. <laughs> yep. She's not. She's not gonna like sit back and wait for someone else to make things happen. Like she's gonna do it. Gonna do it. Yeah. She's gonna look great while she's doing it. Yep. Here's... Yep. <laughs> and then it's all gonna end horribly. Yeah. So simultaneous to this, Audrina is like not thrilled that her dad has taken up with Billy, not for her dad's sake, but for Billy's sake. Because at this point, she's turned a total corner on her father, who she used to, like... Worship. Worship and crave his affection. And at this point, she's like, no, like, he ruins everyone. Like, I like you, Billy. Please leave. He will ruin you, too. And then, um, tragically, one morning, they... Billy Billy falls down the same stairs. Falls. <laughs> yes. Which, Quotation again, marks. They're so brief. They're like, wait, but she didn't even have like her cart slash wheelchair. How did she even fall on the stairs? Well, never mind. Let's not investigate this at all. But yes. then, but then we see Sylvia like scooting away on Billy's cart, which she always like was clearly envious of. Yes. And really wanted for herself. So question mark, question mark, question mark. How did Billy die? Yeah. Um, but Audrina's real upset over Billy being dead. She, like, really pulls away from everyone. She's in a fog. She is. Vera, however, is not in a fog. 
and sees this as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So she uh, starts an affair with Arden, and Audrina is like, I don't fucking care, like, whatever, at first. Yeah, because she is too, yeah, she's just too much grieving. Also, yeah. sometime in here, Arden comes to her and is like, hey, by the way, your dad is, like, a scammer. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and Just, like, if you could take 15 minutes to deal with this, that would be great. And he's like, do you want me to, like, I know he's your dad, do you want me to go to the police and report this or not? Nah? And maybe this is, like, literally right before Billy dies, and then she dies, and they're like, I oh, will deal with this scamming situation later. Yeah. But yeah, so though Vera and Arden are having an affair, and at first Audrina is like, fucking whatever, like, I live in my own head, and also I'm still weird about sex. But then, like, she... Then, like, time is still weird, but eventually we realize, and Audrina realizes she's in a coma. Well, first she, she has sex she... with Arden. Okay. She, like, is like, no, like, let's... And she is really touched because, like, he clearly knows that she has these hang-ups, but he's so in love with her that he's like, you, I'm just gonna lie here, you do whatever you want. And she's like, no, I'm into this. And they have sex, and it's great. And afterwards, she goes to the first Audrina's room and goes in the rocking chair and has more of Mm, these flashbacks to to what happened to the first Audrina and she sees Arden in them and she goes to confront him and then she wakes up in a coma. I thought she felt a push down Maybe, the stairs. Perhaps. Perhaps she felt a push down the stairs. And Definitely like, the reader she, eventually knows she fell down the stairs. Like she's blinded. I think this is a, one of those moments where like there's a lot of prisms hanging from the ceiling and like or... It's unclear, but definitely she, there's like a flash of light that gets in her eyes. And so her vision is impaired for a moment. And then she feels a push down the stairs. Although, honestly, the timeline is a little... I'm a little unclear on the timeline. Yes. Of when... We, we the just... readers, are aware that she is pushed down the stairs yes, and wakes up point. in a coma. Right. Which, let's say that again, somehow wakes up in a coma, like... She's, I mean, she's, like, I think wake is probably the wrong word, but, like, it becomes conscious. She she has so, an awareness. Yes. yes. But, like, she doesn't just hear things, she can also see things. And, yes. again, like, admittedly, my own personal understanding and experience with coma is not extensive. <laughs> but, like, I know that unconscious patients are routinely examined by medical professionals with a flashlight in the eye to see what their pupil function is like as an indicator of brain function overall. So if she was able to see things even through like very heavily lidded, like heavy eyelids. I don't think they ever have a doctor though. Like she's at at the house. So maybe she was, she was, she was in like, I guess the deep coma for a long time for like weeks, a period of weeks. And they do refer to a doctor making visits. Okay. Um, Because there's a point where Arden, one of the times Arden is with her, he's like, the doctors tell me this and the doctors tell me that. And Vera tells me that I shouldn't bother, but like, she's not a doctor and I love you. Right. But essentially, like, she hears, when she comes back to awareness, 
Like, she is aware of Arden being, like, very upset and distraught that she is in a coma and Vera being like, just fucking pull the plug. Like she's going to die and Mm -hmm. very clearly trying to climb back on his dick. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) as time goes on and she remains in her coma, like Vera and Arden do start having an affair. And uh, Vera comes into her room all the time and is like, I'm fucking your husband. Like, Sylvia likes me better than you. Like, I'm going to kill you. And just like... Just, just full villain monologuing to her comatose body all <laughs> yes. the time. <laughs> it was such a great choice. And like, she literally, at one point, like, I guess the special day that she decides she's really going to kill Audrina this time. Like... She bathes Audrina and washes her hair while singing to her, gonna wash that man right out of your hair from yes. South Pacific. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Just wow. living for the drama. What um, a choice. Well, oh. and then, here's something I would love a little bit more detail on. How she does it is, or how she's going to do it is, <laughs> she's connected cookies to the plug that pl- that's plugging in like uh, Drina's respirator, right? And so Sylvia wants the cookies, but like, how do you just tie cookies to an electrical cord? I, how do you do I that? Mean, you don't, but like, <laughs> also like, why would Sylvia pull the plug out if like Sylvia's objective is going to be to get the cookie? Sylvia right. doesn't care about the plug or the cord. She's not going to pull it out. Yeah, That's not like what m- Sylvia is going to do. Sylvia is just going to get the cookie. Like the whole plan. What was it really? <laughs> like just. Which is, and it's kind of disappointing because Vera is at this point kind of like a fucking, not necessarily a criminal mastermind, but like she has been actively plotting against Audrina and doing some pretty bad shit to this entire family for years at this point. And right. this is honestly not her best work. No, mm-hmm. I agree. I She's agree. Really sh- just shoddy craftsmanship here. Come <laughs> yes. on. You can do better. Make it work. But uh, Audrina is able to like talk to Sylvia and convince Sylvia to like help her out of her bed. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Out of the Yeah, it's she like wakes up ish before uh Vera can can kill her with the help of Sylvia and like once she's awake and aware again she is like fucking done with this bullshit and she yep. wants to know everything she wants Vera gone and she wants to know what the fuck has been happening to her for her entire life of question mark years yes and so here's some of it she's pieced together and some of it she makes her dad tell her and it's okay. So So here's the you who who's <laughs> Okay. So you probably have guessed there but there was no first and best Audrina. It's the same Audrina. Uh she was the one who was gang raped as a nine year old in the woods. What the fuck? That happened to her obviously very traumatic so her dad has decided that the best possible way to handle this is to brainwash like hypnotize like the rocking chair was being used for hypnosis times of some sort 
And also, when she, so after she was gang raped, she came back to the house and it was supposed to be her birthday party? Yeah. Yeah, yes. All the children are waiting. Yes. So she sneaks past them, but her mother sees her. And when she tells her mother what happened, instead of being like comforting her or calling the police, she's like, you can never tell your father. Oh, right. And immediately like puts her in the bathtub and starts like sterilizing her skin. Awful. I mean, it's it's so weird because, like, there's no... Prior to this scene, every scene that the mom was in and alive for, like, she maybe wasn't, like, the best mom, but she was loving mm-hmm. and and warm and caring. And at certain points, like, you know, there's a point where she sort of has, like, a real heart-to-heart with Audrina. And, like, you get no indication that her response to her child's traumatic sexual assault would be, oh, we need to go into, like, some kind of, uh, like, scrub-down mode. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, it's it's more of a piece with the behavior of the horrible grandmother in mm-hmm. Flowers in the Attic, yes. who is just, like, all sexual, anything is bad and impure and dirty and filthy. Like, the word filth is used so many times in the, like, five pages that the dad spends explaining what really happened. It's so... Oh, God. It's so messed up. Yeah. So let's let's fly through the rest of this, because we're, yeah. uh-huh. we're thankfully finally at the end. <gasps> so she finds out, A, that she was gang-raped, B, that she... Her mother then, like, treated her like she was dirty, C, that in response, uh, she tried to kill herself... So her father tried to put her in therapy. It didn't really work. He was too upset by it. So he started his own weird hypnosis. They started gaslighting her in the house, trying to convince her that she was her own younger sister, removing to the, the to calendars the extent, and the clocks. There is a fake empty grave for other yes. Audrina. Yeah, that they like, used to make her visit once a week. In addition to all of this within her family, as she gets her memories back, she remembers that Arden had been there that day, not as one of the rapists, but he saw what was happening, but there were too many of them, and they were all older than him, and he was afraid for his own life, so he ran away. Mm -hmm. So he also has known the secret this entire time. And the last of her revelations is that the only person who knew how to find her that day was Vera. Right. So Vera sent these boys to find her and rape and nearly kill her. Which, what the fuck, though? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. she's like fucking nine years old. Yeah, I, I had been like, you know, a little bit on Vera's side in a number of situations that she'd experienced. Up until that moment, and then I was like, oh, no. Like, we're done. But it is also, like, there's... I would have liked maybe a little more detail about how... Like, Vera didn't make those boys do that. Like, how did she know... Like, she told them where she would be, but, like, what was up with those boys? Like, what the fuck? Right. The the boy Like, they aren't characters either. Like, they have to be just exclusively monsters. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, they are, but like, yeah, yes, that that is something that like having having built up to finally like this major enormous reveal, I, I just feel like she, Andrews doesn't stick the landing. I think she <laughs> does. I think there's other horrible things that happen in this book that are dreadful and shocking that she 
nails much, much, much better. If that's yes. what she's going for. You know? Yes. So she... So she's like, what the fuck? I gotta get out of here. She wants to yeah. take Sylvia and leave the, like, terrible house. And um, But first... She and she tells her father, she, her, she accuses Vera of like doing all this because Vera wanted to win her father's favor and be the favorite or something. Um, and it turns into an argument and her father and Vera are arguing and her father, they're at the top of the fucking stairs. Why does anyone in this house hang out at the top of these <laughs> stairs? <laughs> the Just father come up and put in an elevator. The, the father kind of goes after Vera, and Vera, in her haste to get away, trips and falls down the stairs, and because she has brittle bone disease, like, her entire body is broken, and she dies. Oh, right. So, yeah, so, Audrina <laughs> is like, Sylvia and I are fucking out of here. At last. Yes. But then, Sylvia's like, no, I don't want to go. Like, she tells Audrina, no, I'm staying here. Which, yeah. like, and by she... the way, Audrina, who is not a licensed occupational or speech therapist, mm -hmm. has managed over the question mark number of years to to teach Sylvia to speak in a way that, that Audrina can understand. She says, you know, it's not obviously like her speech isn't super clear, but if you pay attention, you can understand what she's saying. And, like, in this scene, it's sort of like Sylvia's most clear speech in the book. And she she says Audrina's name, and she says, stay home. Mm -hmm. So Audrina's like, okay, I guess I'm going by myself. And as the reader, you're like, yes! Like, <laughs> fly! Be free! Go! Like, get a job, get therapy, get real friends! You know, have a calendar, mark off the days every single day, subscribe to three daily newspapers to get double, triple confirmation that you know what the day is! Do it! <laughs> And then she stays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the fucking end of the book. The end. And it's <sighs> so... So my question... Sophie, I know you you said you read all the V.C. Andrews books as a middle schooler. And, like, obviously yeah. a lot of people did. And I know they're very popular. I don't understand at all what's enjoyable about this book like i cannot imagine reading it and this is not coming from a place of judgment it's coming oh, no. from a place of sincerely i don't understand right enjoying this right they're not enjoyable okay, okay so like the context for me and i would be very curious to know like what other listeners if they have read this book or read other vc andrews books if they had a similar experience for me like a big part of it was, okay, like in my town, the middle school was a, um, there were three elementary schools and then there was one middle school. So the, the, all of the elementary schools fed into the single middle school for the whole town. And so when you got to sixth grade, there were kids there who you might never have met before, unless you were like really involved in town athletics or whatever. And so I made this friend in sixth grade who was actually like, horrible and mean um but like she was reading these books like i guess she mm -hmm. had already read them in sixth grade or maybe like her mom read them or something anyway th th they were all published as mass market paperbacks they had these really groovy creepy appealing covers with like a keyhole 
art. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like with the mm-hmm. cutout? Yeah, and then you yeah. open so you, it and there's right. the painting. So the cover art looked like it was one thing and there was a little cutout of like the main character's face. And when you opened it, yeah, exactly. There was a painting on the inside which revealed some, you know, enticing element of the story. And so part of it was like the allure of this girl who was awful but yet who I nonetheless very much wished to impress with my like sophistication mm-hmm. and so uh and like you know remember at age 11 as now at age 43 I was not cool you know like <laughs> I was enthusiastic so um anyway so uh, a, a whole group of us we're reading these books and passing them around, like literally at the flagpole in the front of the main <laughs> entrance of our school. And so there was this whole group of us reading them and, and some, and like there were like different factions. So like some girls were reading Clan of the Cave Bear. And mm. like uh, I, my my family um, lived with my grandmother in, in her house. And she went through a phase where she was reading like a lot of Andrew Greeley novels, which are these like very um, like high drama books about like uh super catholic families who have a lot of guilt because they're super catholic but yet nonetheless they're like all sleeping with each other and doing like all kinds of bad immoral shit and like so everybody was sort of reading various soap operatic very plot dense uh full of like taboo and transgressive sexuality books like that was just a thing that my group of friends were all doing. And so there was like, it was just like cultural currency, I guess. And like, I had grown up like I I was like a voracious reader from the time I first learned to read. And uh, like, my taste is very small C Catholic. Like I'll try almost anything. Mm -hmm. And these books were page turners and there's something about them that I now regard as being like very closely related to the darkest elements in the fairy tales that I grew up reading. Okay. Like there's, you know, like if you read earlier versions of the Western Cinderella, which I know is a story that is told in many cultures around the world, the German version of it involves like the stepsisters cutting off their own toes to jam their feet into the glass Mm -hmm. slipper. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of horrifying elements. And of course, like in Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and like all these stories in, and in Beauty and the Beast, horrible things happen in the woods. So like, although I had no frame of reference for my own life with like these awful, abusive, incestuous, terrible families like my own family life was like very loving and healthy there was something that i recognized in these books as being very familiar and that i think on a on an unconscious level saw as like a logical progression from stories that i'd read previously like i also another book that i read a lot as a child was um retellings of shakespeare stories by charles and mary lamb and they didn't and they were specifically written for kids and and they they summarized not just like the comedies and romances but like the historicals the tragedies and like those plays are full of these awful like the darkest worst human impulses like rape and murder and 
I read all of them. Like I did not limit myself to the funny ones. Hmm. So, so like all that stuff was already there. And then at the same time, like in the 1980s, right now, parents are always talking about like the danger of child kidnapping and rape and murder. But actually, like the risk of that actually happening to children now is much, 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 much lower in this country than it's ever been. The risk of that happening when I was a child was actually very high. Like we would get, I lived in a really like very affluent suburb. Every child walked to school every day to their, like their neighborhood elementary school. You know, it was a rather idyllic place in a lot of ways, but yet I remember very clearly having letters sent home from school to all children, like to our parents saying like, you know, a, basically a, a predator has been spotted in this neighborhood. You know, somebody is attempting to lure children into their vehicle, like be on the lookout for this vehicle. You may wish to drive your children to school for the foreseeable future. Like all that stuff, it was in the air. And so I think in a weird way, reading these books was almost like, it wasn't reassuring exactly, but like, it was almost like an inoculation. Like if I read this book about this horrible thing that happened to this girl, like then it won't happen to me because somehow I'll know how to prevent it, even though the book takes place in a totally different setting than, like, where I grew up in the suburbs. Like, it takes place in this rural place. But, like, or, like, in a way, like, Audrina is the one who suffers these this horrible set of experiences, and that means that none of us will have to experience them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll, that I'll makes that. sense. Like, I, I don't know. And, and I mean, I guess in we can, I think actually a better way into that conversation will be when we get to Reader's Advisory. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, that's that. That's most of the things that happen in this book. You can read Wikipedia if you have questions. God knows I still do. Let's move <laughs> on to dramatic readings and give you just a little, little flavor of this book. Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, and I'm going to read a section of uh, the book where they're having one of the weird tea parties from the very beginning with the disappeared aunt, which doesn't come back to have any significance whatsoever to the end of the book. Mama, I asked in a small voice, what's a veil? Lucietta, why don't you teach your child something of value? Said that merciless voice on the piano. When my head whipped around trying to catch Aunt Elspeth talking. She was sipping hot tea, which I knew was heavily laced with bourbon, just as Mama's tea was. Maybe it was the liquor that made them so cruel. I didn't know if they had liked Aunt Mercy Marie when she was alive, or if they had despised her. I knew they liked to mock the way that they thought she had been killed, as if they couldn't quite believe Papa, who had explained to me more than once that Aunt Mercy Marie might very well still be alive and the wife of some African chieftain. Fat women are prized in many primitive societies, he told me. She just disappeared two weeks after she arrived there to do her missionary work. Don't believe everything you hear, Audrina. That was my problem. What to believe and what not to believe. Giggling, Mama poured a bit more tea into my aunt's cup and some into her own, and then she picked up a crystal bottle labeled bourbon and filled the two cups. Then Mama spotted Vera. Vera, she said. Would you like a cup of hot tea? Of course Vera did, but she scowled when no bourbon was added. What are you doing home from school so early? Shot out my aunt. 
The teachers had a meeting and let all the students off earlier than usual, said Vera quickly. Vera, be truthful in the presence of the living dead, giggled my mother, almost <laughs> drunk by this time. Vera and I exchanged glances. This was one of the times we could really communicate, when we both felt strange and baffled. What do you do for amusement, Ellie? asked my mother in that high-pitched, sugary voice she used for Aunt Mercy Marie. Certainly you must get bored, too, once in a while, living way out in the sticks, having no friends. You don't have a handsome husband to keep you warm and happy in your cold, lonely bed. Really, Mercy, responded my aunt, looking straight into those photograph eyes. How could I possibly be bored when I live with such fascinating people as my sister and her stockbroker husband, who both adore fighting in their bedroom so much one of them screams? Truthfully, I feel rather safe in my lonely bed without a handsome brute of a man who likes to wield his belt for a whip. Elspeth, how dare you tell my best friend such nonsense? Damien and I play games, that's all. It adds to his excitement and mine. Mama smiled apologetically at the photograph. Unfortunately, Elspeth knows nothing at all about the many ways of pleasing a man or giving him what he likes. My aunt snorted contemptuously. Mercy, I'm sure you would never allowed you have never allowed Horace to play those kind of sick sex games with you. If she had, she wouldn't be where she is now, giggled my mama. So yeah, there's that. Just yikes. Yeah. Alright. Okay. Um, so this is uh, the scene where Audrina and Vera have a fight and Audrina uh, and Vera has a miscarriage, which her mother responds to in a totally normal and healthy way. Um, <laughs> okay, so they've had a fight. Basically, Audrina, Audrina knocks Vera down. Um, and Vera gets up, but she stumbles, and then she didn't notice a small prism that Sylvia had been playing with. She stepped on it, lost her balance, and fell again to the floor. Sylvia howled in great distress, but it was Vera who screamed the loudest. When I looked, I was amazed to see great pools of blood on the floor. With Sylvia in my arms, I ran for my aunt. Aunt Elspeth, come quickly! Vera is bleeding all over my bedroom floor! Indifferently, my aunt looked my way, flour smudged on her chin. No, she's really bleeding and the blood is running down her legs. Only then did my aunt stride to the sink to wash the flour from her hands. She dried them on her spotless white apron. Well, come along. I may need your help. There's a wild, destructive side to that girl, and no doubt she's managed to get herself in trouble. We arrived in time to see Vera crawling on the floor, drenched with her own blood by now, and still bleeding as she pawed through the congealing pools of blood, crying out, The baby! I've lost my baby! Wild and distraught-looking, she raised her head when we entered the room. I hugged Sylvia closer. Were you pregnant? asked my aunt coldly, doing nothing to help her daughter. Yes! screamed Vera, still feeling around in the blood. I've got to have that baby. I've got to. I need that baby. It's my ticket out of this hellhole, and now it's gone. Help me, Mama. Help me save my baby. My aunt glanced down at all the blood. If you've lost it, better so. Demented-looking, Vera's eyes went wild, and her fingers curled around one huge clot of blood that she hurled at her mother. It struck my aunt's apron and fell to the floor with a sickening clump. Now he'll never take me with him, Vera wailed. Clean up the mess you've made, Vera, ordered my aunt, seizing me by the hand and trying to drag me away. When I come back, I want to see this room as spotless as it was this morning. Use cold water on that rug. 
Mother, cried Vera, looking weak now and ready to faint, I've just miscarried, and you worry about the rug? The Oriental is valuable. Closing the door behind us, I know, amazing. Closing the door behind us, my aunt shoved me in front of her as Sylvia continued to whimper. I should have known it would happen this way. She's no good like her father. She paused, seeming to reflect before she added, and yet he made other children without her flaws. Feeling sick, I still managed to find a voice. Is Vera really, Pop is Vera really Papa's child? Without answering, my aunt hurried back to the kitchen, where she immediately washed her hands again, scrubbing them with a brush. She hurled her soiled apron into the laundry sink, which she filled with cold water, and then took a fresh apron from a cabinet drawer. The apron was white with sharp ironed creases. Once she had the apron strings tied, she began to roll the pie pastry that she had abandoned. Whew. They do such a crap job of dealing with obstetrics and gynecology in this book. It's really outrageous. And as a listener to Ask a Clean Person, I will say cold water is a good start. But everybody knows you need an enzymatic cleaner for a protein stain. But what do you do to get the secrets out of the carpet? Yeah, no, I think you're kind of screwed on that one. <laughs> because, as everyone knows, it's not just steps that can achieve, like, awareness and understanding and motivations. I think carpets could, too. <laughs> and in a different book, that carpet would take some type of action. <laughs> uh, it, it probably was conspiring with the stairs, honestly. It, it probably was. I would read that book, honestly. <laughs> All right. Uh, and our last dramatic reading is from Audrina's coma times. As the monotonous days slowly passed, I began to really know Vera as never before by the cruel words she said to me. Thinking I couldn't hear, she always spoke the truth. I wish you could hear and see me, Audrina. I'm having sex with your beloved Arden. He calls it making love. But I know what it is. He's going to pay for everything I've been through to win him. He's going to give me the world, this house, Papa's fortune, and everything this monstrosity holds will be sold at auction. As soon as I have everything in my name, I'll get rid of Sylvia and Papa too. She laughed cruelly. Arden is so appealing in some ways, so dependent on women for his happiness. A man is a fool to allow that to happen. I admire a man who always keeps his wife in her proper place, but I'll be the man in our family. Sooner or later, Arden will be mine. Never doubt that. Her long nails scratched as she brutally rolled me over on my side to change the sheets. She'd placed me so precariously near the edge I almost fell to the floor. By my hair and one bare leg, I was seized and yanked back to safety. She delivered a hard slap on my bare bottom, as if I'd purposefully tried to roll off the bed. Next, she moved me from my side over onto my back, came around to the opposite side of my bed, and finished tucking in the clean sheet before she stared at my naked body in an appraising way. It was so awful to be naked and vulnerable and unable to help myself, and her eyes were no kinder than those ravishing eyes of the boys in the woods. Yes, I can see why he loved you once. Nice breasts, she said, pinching my nipples so I felt a dull pain. Pain, that meant I was going to recover, if she gave me time. Slim waist, too. Flat stomach. Nice. Very nice. But your beauty is leaving, Audrina, darling. Leaving fast. 
All those rich young curves he loves will soon be flabby flesh to hang and droop, and he won't want you back then. I lay staring at the ceiling high above. Where was Papa? Why didn't he visit me? In the corner, Sylvia leaned forward, her aqua eyes in focus as she studied Vera intently. Warily, she was inching closer and closer, too. I could barely see the drift of her long hair in the dimness of the large room. Yet, I kept willing her to do something to help. If you don't want to be put away in one of those awful places, help me, Sylvia, help me. Do something to save my life and your own, too. Sylvia had inched forward enough to find a spot of random sunlight that fell on her hair and turned it copper. In her hand, she turned the crystal prism constantly, like a baby watching the colorful right lays sparkle myriad rainbows about the room. One ray of scarlet and orange, she beamed directly into Vera's spider eyes. Stop that, yelled Vera. That's what you did to my mother, wasn't it? You did it to Billy, too, didn't you? Crab-like, Sylvia sidled back to her place in the shadows, keeping a watchful eye on me, on Vera. On and on, Vera rambled as if I were her confessor, and when she put me in the ground, I'd take her secrets with me, and never again would she be haunted by any of the awful things she'd done. Fucking Vera, man. <laughs> yeah, she's a trip. So like, much. Yeah. All right. So that's what this book is like, but forever. No. It's that forever and it never yeah. ends. Constantly. <laughs> you can. For 500 can. pages. When you think it's over, it just begins again. Right. All right. Lightning round. Would you rather be a beautiful Olympic figure skater or a beautiful, renowned classical pianist? I want to be a figure skater because I like the outfits. I want to be a pianist because, uh, you know, sports people, their bodies give out on them. They can't make money anymore. You could probably play the piano for a longer period of time than you could figure skate professionally. Mm. That's true. I think I would still rather be a figure skater um, just because, like, I can't skate at all. So it would be kind of amazing to suddenly have that physical ability. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about, would you rather be forced to live in an attic while your parents tell your grandparents you're dead, or be forced to live a weird gaslighting existence as your own younger sister in a weird clock and calendarless house? Uh, I think I'd definitely choose the gaslighty existence as your own younger sister, because at the end of the day, once everything comes to light, you can fucking get out of there and live your own life, even if Audrina did not make those choices at any point in the book. Whereas living in the attic has a very, you don't really have a lot of world around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather be Audrina than a Dallenganger, for sure. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Great. Uh, just watch watch out for the stairs. That's all. Yes. <laughs> all right. Last up, would you rather have a Tuesday tea uh, with the White Fern household or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle with the movie and also <laughs> our beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes. <laughs> Uh, I would obviously rather eat at Steaks and Cakes. You know, you get more variety than just bourbon and tea, which I'm not a big bourbon fan myself. Uh, instead, I could be eating an entire steak followed by a full cake, which is clearly, you know, the, the better choice in this scenario. 
Yeah, and I mean, you, we could have our own, like, weirdly upsetting conversation at Steaks and Cakes. You know, we could bring in framed photos of dead people <laughs> to join us at Steaks and Cakes. True, there's no rule against that. So I'll, I'll see you there. <laughs> I am going to go to the White Fern house to have, to sit in on one of their weird tea times. Um, because... I know that I could leave and it would be an amazing anecdote to share with friends later. That's true. Please. Maybe I would. That is a good I could, point. I could meet you at Steaks and Cakes afterwards and catch you up on all the tea that was actually literally spilled. <laughs> Please do and then come back on the podcast to tell us about it. <laughs> I'm amazed that you would ever have me back after I did this. Oh, it wasn't bad enough that I made you read Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> Sophie, that is, you are making a compelling argument against yourself. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It just shows what, what, like, gluttons for punishment slash good and forgiving friends you are. Well, also, you have such good insights to go along with this. (laughs) Well, thank you. Speaking of which, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll recommend books to read instead of or in addition to this. I mean, the thing is, V.C. Andrews has so many books, well, V.C. and her ghostwriters, that I feel like people who are into V.C. Andrews generally, there's a lot. There's a lot right there for you. Yeah, and uh, I will say, um, two, there'll be a bunch more that I'm going to have Renata put on the website, but two particularly uh, harder to nail down things are uh, when Sophie was talking before about reading all of the novels like this uh, as a tween and teen, uh, I absolutely did that, but with like terrible novel length, out of character, hurt, comforty fan fiction, Mm, like where terrible, horrible things happen to people and just one tragedy after the next, after the next. And they were bad and I knew they were bad, but the fact that they were bad was kind of why I read them. I got a kick out of how bad they were. Um, So that's definitely an option if you like this kind of tragedy porn. And also there's this amazing Reddit thread from the relationship subreddit about this woman whose boyfriend was gaslighting her and how she figured it out with the help of Reddit and then gaslighted him back down to actually watching the movie Gaslight with him. Uh, And we're going to link that because it's fucking amazing. One thing I want, this is not a read like in tone, but just sort of in content. I feel like if you want to cope with rape culture and feminine rage and anger, any books by Courtney Summers, particularly her latest, which is called Sadie, and it's fucking great. I will co-sign that. I just finished it, and it was fucking amazing. I look forward to that one. Uh, I have one that is similar in tone, um, which is Rebecca by Daphne Mm -hmm. du Maurier. If you're interested in, like, the first and best versus the next and worst uh, type <laughs> narratives and also like creepy as hell, enormous houses and isolation and gaslighting and all that good stuff, um, then you should definitely read and or watch Rebecca, originally written by Daphne du Maurier. And for a book that is tonally different, but actually has like a really good representation of uh, the experience of a very successful athlete um, who experiences amputation. Uh, the Running Dream by Wendelin Van Drainen is really, yeah. really good, and I highly recommend. And then the other thing I would recommend is, um, like, I think probably 
if you've read this book or something like it and uh, and are also a reader of true crime, um, then a book that you really, really got to read is Alice Bolin's Dead Girls, which is yes. a book of essays about the American obsession with dead girls, especially dead white girls, um, and how we managed to make ourselves in, like complicit in those narratives. I think this book has a lot of the hallmarks of true crime in a lot of ways. So that's a not a read-alike, but a, a, a read-also. I, I loved Dead Girls also. I think you're right. There is there is some sort of connective thread between these things. Yeah. yeah. And it's so good. Um, all right, we are, we'll move on because we've said so much already. But like Kate mentioned, there will be more of these featured on WorstBestsellers.com. So make sure to check that out. Real quick, what's everybody's candy pairing for this book? Uh, my candy pairing is a bowl full of marbles that you think are jelly beans, and then you go up to them and you take a handful of them and you put them in your mouth, and they're actually marbles and they've broken all of your teeth. Oh no, that's awful. <laughs> Mine is a two-year-old birthday cake. Like, it's your ninth birthday, but this cake was somehow left out from your seventh birthday, and it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, mine is rock candy which is somehow prismatic and blinds you as you're trying to eat it which you shouldn't eat it anyway per my dentist <laughs> this all sounds correct all right now it is time for the rock paper snicked where kate will say who Dwayne the rock johnson would be if you were in this book i'll say who uh wolverine would be if you were in this book and sophie will choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper which is to leave the book as is all right if Dwayne the rock johnson were in this book he would have been the bus driver at Audrina and Vera's school. Um, the boys who end up eventually raping Audrina start by harassing her on the bus, I believe. So he would have overheard these boys taunting her and not allowed them off the bus to follow her into the woods. And instead, he'd give them a stern lecture about, like, not being fucking rapists. And then he would report them to the school and the police. So Audrina would have gotten home unhindered and the book would have been probably at least, like, 40% less fucked up. Yeah. All right, if Wolverine were in this book, he just would have been hanging out in the woods like he does, and he would have heard the uh, impending attack on Audrina in the woods, which he would have prevented from happening. And so this book instead would become a short story, which would be the contrast of Audrina's very pleasant, normal ninth birthday party with just the brutal stabbing of some would-be rapists in the woods. As much as I relish the brutal stabbing of three would-be rapists in the woods, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with The Rock because I like the idea of, like, the boys actually learning something and maybe, mm -hmm. like, participating in society in a healthy way in the future. I think that's, uh, like, an ideal outcome for everyone. And the book could still be, I think even if it were 60% as fucked up as it is, that would still be a lot. And that's like still a lot. Some right. and, and, and like worth reading if what you like reading is really messed up narratives. So I'm gonna go with the rock. Good choice. Yeah. Uh all right. Uh what do we think the moral of the story is? Uh what the fuck? That's just <laughs> that's what I wrote down because mm -hmm. that is, as Renata can attest to, like every six hours I would post in the worst best sellers channel on Slack just what the fuck is this book in all caps. <laughs> uh -huh. There's a lot of that. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, my moral of the story is one that many of the books we read share, and that moral is simply ban men. 
Yeah, that's not wrong. Um, mine is men are terrible, but also women kind of bring it on themselves. Am I right? So we stop <laughs> gaslighting us. <laughs> I mean, that's the lesson that I drew. Definitely. I need to change my entire wardrobe. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's part of the problem is definitely what's happening. <sighs> Thanks, oh BC. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. You know, Duarte, you're right. We did fail to mention that first and best Audrina had a cat named Tweedledum, whose second Audrina didn't get to have a pet anymore. Um, But I think that's kind of fine, honestly. I think there's... You know, that house is bad news. You don't want cats getting involved in that. Yeah, would you really want a cat messed up in all of this garbage? I think not. No. Cats, I like cats too much for that. They'd honestly be better off being warrior cats in the woods, and you know I hate to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, Dorote, thanks as ever for your opinions. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? This book was fucked up. Yeah, I I cannot wait to read a palate cleanser. I would say my my closing thoughts are the same as my opening thoughts, which are just fucking yikes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. totally fair. <laughs> uh, but if you have enjoyed listening to us talk about this and you would like to find some more of us on the internet, you can like us on Facebook where we're facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We're also uh, on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because the first and best worst sellers had the S and they took it with them to the grave. <laughs> to the grave that is empty. To their empty grave, correct. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's empty except the S is in it. Nothing else right, remains. Right, the S is the only thing that's in there. <laughs> uh, we also have a Goodreads group that you can access from our website, worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, we're going to sneak into your house and take all of your calendars and clocks away so you'll never know (laughs) what time it is or how old you are or what time of the year it is. Uh, We also have a Patreon that you can find on patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a platform where you can pledge a small recurring monthly donation, and that money goes to us to keep us operating, uh, pay for hosting, equipment, artists to do things like create our new logo, and you get a whole bunch of perks for doing so. One of the things that we used our Patreon money to do was uh, set up a merch store, where which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on store, and you'll find a whole variety of things from our podcast to wear on your body. Yeah. Uh, if you want more of me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you want more of me personally on Twitter, uh, by the time this airs, I should be back on Twitter, at least temporarily, and I'm at 14 across. And if you want to come say hi and talk about the weird messed up books we read in middle school, um, <laughs> I'm at Sophie Biblio. Um, you can also subscribe to the weekly email newsletter I write with our wonderful friend, Mrs. Friday Next, a.k.a. Margaret H. Willison, a frequent guest on this very podcast. Um, it's called Two Bossy Dames, and you can subscribe to it at twobossydames.substack.com. 
or you can chat with us on Twitter at at Two Bossy Games. If you're not already a part of Dames Nation, I just don't know what you're doing. Highly recommended. Oh, thank you. Please do join us. We love, uh, yeah, we just love to re- be read by more people. We love for Dames Nation to come hang out with us. All right. Sophie, thank you again so much for joining us and oh. sh- sharing your insight about the world of VC Andrews. Yes, oh. it was wonderful it was... to do this, even if the book was terrible. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Maybe next time we'll read a good one. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you know, Sophie, you did also come on our Hamilton episode, and that oh, that's true. That's true. Yes, that's that the best was, book we've ever read. <laughs> that was really good. I was I was just talking about my about that with my daughter yesterday. I was like, I need to reread that book. It was good. <sighs> All right. Yes, but we'll be back in two weeks with something less good than Hamilton, namely Five Nights at Freddy's: The Silver Eyes by Scott Cawthon and Kira Breed Risley. Hooray. All right. Good luck. Happy Halloween to us all. (laughs) Yes. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.